You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, that's kind of fun, huh? Welcome, welcome back, everybody. And I'm so glad you're here today, whether you're joining us for the first time or you're online or you've been here for like the hundredth time. I want to tell you, you could not have picked a better Sunday to be here. It's my favorite Sunday of the year here at Mosaic. And I think you'll see why before we are through today. All right, but I am excited to, excited to start something brand new, which you sort of picked up on there from the video. It's called You Might Regret That Later. You might regret that later. And for the month of November, we're looking at how the gospel, the gospel of Jesus empowers us to live better stories with fewer regrets. Better stories with fewer regrets. And here's why we're doing this. It's because, I think you may have discovered this too, that most of the time, our regrets in life, the regrets in life, especially when it comes to the, the big two of our finances and our relationships, that's what we'll be kind of honing in on, in on here, our finance and our relationships, our regrets there are tied to things we wish we hadn't done. They're tied to things that we can't change. They're tied to things that we can never take back. But inside the regret, when you think about it, inside the regret, it's not just the thing that did happen that we regret. The real regret is what we wish had happened instead. Had happened instead. The real regret is the thing that we wished had just gone differently. In other words, the real regret is the missed opportunity. That's the real regret. It's like the time Carrie and I were going on a little trip and I was in charge of loading the car with our luggage. And we got to the airport and we realized that I had totally forgotten to load her suitcase. I sure had made sure to bring mine, but I had not made sure to bring hers. And yeah, I left, it was right there by the front door when we got back, totally my fault, but there was no time left to go back and to get it. And so I regret, of course, not only that that thing happened, but the real regret was the missed opportunity to save some money. When she looked at me and it suddenly both dawned on us that she was going to get to buy a whole week's worth of new clothes <laughs> once we landed, which she did. Now, I don't tell you that story to try to perpetuate the myth of the shopaholic overspending wife. That is not Carrie at all. My point is, it wasn't a free regret. It wasn't a free regret. The real regret, again, was the missed opportunity. Now, that story is super small, kind of funny, maybe to you, not to me. Uh, but when it comes to the bigger stuff, the bigger moments, the bigger stories in our lives, sometimes the regrets aren't so funny. Sometimes those regrets aren't just the things that we kind of wish we could take back. Sometimes our regrets are the things that end up defining our lives in ways that we never really wanted. So how can we live better stories in order to embrace what we should and avoid what we shouldn't? That's what we're looking at all this month. And so right now with all of this in mind, I want to kick this whole thing off, series off, today off with this question. Here it is. Simple question. What story do you want to tell about you? What story do you want to tell about you when you, when you look back on right now? Whatever you've been through, whatever you come through, all of that, when you look back on, for example, high school, middle school, uh, college, parenting, grandparenting, when you look back on life, 
What kind of story do you want to tell about you? What type of story do you want to tell? What sort of story do you want to tell? When your story is nothing but a story, what kind of story do you want to tell? Now, I was thinking about this, and here's what I've discovered. Here's what I, I believe. Put it like this. Great stories usually boil down to great decisions. Great stories usually boil down to great decisions. Just about, for example, every bad story you've heard someone tell or every bad story you could tell about you comes down to a bad decision. Like the thing that you said yes to that you knew you should have said no to. Like you said yes to buying it <laughs> or eating it or watching it or smoking it or moving in with it. Those were bad decisions that led to bad stories. And conversely, every great story you could tell usually boils down to a great decision. Like, like instead of just going out again with your friends, you stayed home and you studied for that test. And you developed a pattern and a habit and you sort of created momentum and all of a sudden you did well in your classes and now, now you've got a degree or a diploma to show for it. Or, or maybe there was that person that you felt you really connected with, but because you had already made a vow to be faithful, because you had children at home you knew who needed you, you said no to what you know you should have said no to. And now, years later, maybe you've got a marriage and a family to show for it. See, those were good decisions. Those were great decisions that led to great stories. So what makes the difference between the two? What makes the difference between the good ones and the bad ones, the, the bad ones and the great ones? How can we lean toward, move toward, embrace those great decisions and lean away from, move away from, even reject the bad ones? To help us with that, to help us see what makes the difference between the two, there's someone whose story we're actually going to look at today in what we call the Bible and the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. His name is Joseph. His name is Joseph. You likely know his story. And Joseph's life shows us a great key and gives us a great principle to help us see what can make a difference between those bad ones and the great ones, to help us live a better life and tell a better story. Joseph's story... It's probably very familiar to you. It might even be your favorite story in all the Bible. It's mine for sure. And it turned out as a great story because, we're going to look at it, because it all began with the single great decision that Joseph made when it could have gone either way for him. So we're going to pick up Joseph's story here in Genesis chapter 39, and I'll fill you in as we go. You ready? Here we go. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Well, who's Joseph? He is the great grandson of someone named Abraham. May have heard of him. He lived around 1800 BC. He was one of 12 sons of someone named Jacob. And he was actually Jacob's favorite son. And because Jacob overtly favored him so much, his brothers despised him. And after, after initially plotting to kill him, and by the way, if you think your family and brothers are bad, we'll just read Genesis 39. His brothers, though, thankfully decided to do, to do the far more merciful and far more profitable thing, which was to sell him to a passing band of caravanners on the way down to Egypt. So Joseph here, he's a teenager. He's all alone, far from home and homeland and family and faith. What would happen to him next? Verse two, now Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. 
Potiphar was a successful military officer in Egypt whose household, like many, required servants and slaves to make run. So he purchases Joseph and brings him into his own house. Now look at these next few verses. But the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So, so despite, despite the betrayal of his brothers and the trauma of being sold as a slave into another country, things, things are looking up for Joseph. He becomes essentially the, the manager of a small company, the, <coughs> excuse me, the household of Potiphar, and he runs like this small kind of business. And, and things are going well until we get to this next verse. It says, now Joseph was well-built and <laughs> Handsome. Not one or the other, (laughs) but both. This is called foreshadowing. And therefore, you know, as a good reader, nothing good can come of this detail and nothing good does. Next verse, dot, dot, dot. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, let's pause and imagine, imagine the dilemma, the position Joseph's in. Because on one hand, he has every reason to say yes to this indecent proposal. His master's away. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. It's a big, big table. Lots and lots of food. Sorry, some of you know the three here. Do people know that song? All right. Work my song lyric in for the day. His master's away. There's no one there. His dad's not there. His mom's died. And after all, what good has God done for him anyway? Like, if God's so good, loves him so much, why is Joseph a slave in Egypt? But how about, how about this from the other side? I mean, what would happen if Joseph even wanted to say no? Like, what if he spurned his master's wife's advances? What kind of punishment could she give or lies could she tell? I mean, like to borrow a Hollywood phrase here, this is, this is kind of Joseph's casting couch moment. If he says no, no to a sexual advance from a person in a position of power over him, what would happen to his career? Hmm? He's got no rights, no lawyer, no one would even believe him. Oh my, it can only go bad for him if he says no, so why not just say yes? I mean, what could he do after all? Oh, but when faced with a decision to make a choice that would, come on, define his story one way or the other, look at what Joseph does. When faced with all the emotion, the desire, the opportunity in front of him, let's look at not only what he says, but what he does. Look at this next verse. It says, but he refused. Why? Look at this. He says, with me in charge, he told her. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one's greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. 
How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I love this. You see what Joseph's doing here? See, when given a choice to make a decision that would define and become a permanent part of his story, one way or the other, what does he do? Here's what it does. We're going to look at it. What he, what he does, he rehearses his story out loud in light of eternity. He rehearses his story out loud in light of eternity. He starts reminding himself, reminding her of what's, what's happened so far here in his story. He's like, he's like Mrs. Potiphar. I've been given so much. Mrs. Potiphar, I came to this nation as a slave and your master bought me and because I worked hard and because of the grace of God, I've come to this position. I'm glad to be here. That's my story, Mrs. Potiphar. How could I then bring adultery into this story? How could I be with you in light of all that God's done for me? See, in light of eternity, in light of the long view, the long game, in light of the reality that God sees and God knows and God is watching him right now. He asks, how could I bring this into my story, your story, Potiphar's story? When all of this, he's saying, is nothing but a story, that's not the kind of story I want to tell. See, Joseph rehearses his story out loud in light of eternity. Let me ask you, do you do this? You can, you know. Do I do this? We can. See, because Joseph made, hear me, his decision in light of eternity, in light of the eyes of God, and not in light of his emotions, not just in light of his needs as a man, in light of his wants or his desires, but because he makes this decision in light of eternity, wait for it, wait for it, things actually go worse at first. Worse at first, not better. For a while, his story appeared to get worse because Joseph makes this decision and he says no to Potiphar's wife. She does, in fact, accuse him of rape and he is, in fact, thrown into prison for many years. And what does he do while he's in prison? Once again, he's been victimized by people in positions of power, more powerful than he. And while I'm sure this was, and it was, devastating, Joseph still decides to live his life in light of eternity. He decides that other people's treatment of him will not define him. They won't get the last word in his story. And so He begins to serve the prison warden. He begins to serve his fellow prisoners. And he he can even interpret their dreams, we read. And he does such a good job with the job he never wanted that he's promoted, again, to be second in command of the whole prison. And so when Pharaoh, now Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has some dreams he can't interpret, one of his, one of Pharaoh's, recently called out of prison servants, remembers there's a Hebrew slave back in prison who can't interpret dreams. And so he recommends that Joseph come now out of prison and interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And Joseph is summoned out of prison and God gives him once more the interpretation to dreams, Pharaoh's dreams. And they were this. He said, Pharaoh, one day there will be seven years of famine in your land. Oh, but first you'll have seven prosperous years. And then, and then Joseph goes on to do the, the unthinkable. He actually recommends, he gives like advice to the king himself, a slave, a prisoner. He says, Pharaoh, I recommend you, you put someone in charge of collecting the grain in the prosperous years so that your nation will survive in the lean years. And then Pharaoh, to the shock of everyone in his court, names Joseph as that person. 
So Joseph goes to work and he does this and he becomes, he becomes now the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. And when the famine does hit the world, hits the land many years later, now his own brothers back in their homeland are on the verge of starvation and they now are forced to go and beg grain from Egypt and who do they run into? but the prime minister of Egypt, their long lost but unrecognized brother, Joseph. And when they arrive, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. So what would he do? Come on, the tables, oh, they've been reversed. It's a day he surely dreamed about for years. He's the one with all the power now, the authority now, the position now. He could tell his brothers, to go stick that grain somewhere, right? He could do to his brothers way worse than they ever did to him all those years before. What would he do? Well, in the end, in the end, it's beautiful. He decides to forgive them. And in the end, he decides to let the pain go and the bitterness go. And he reveals himself to them. He forgives them. And he relocates all his family, long lost family, over to Egypt. And he reunites with the father he never dreamed he would even see again. And the whole family is provided for and reunited and made whole. And then, and then at the end of the whole thing, at the end of his story, Joseph says this to all of them. Because his brothers come and ask, how could you do this? How could you forgive us? Why didn't you do the easy thing, the normal thing, the common thing, the human thing, and just seek revenge against us for all we did to you. But Joseph, no, he says this. Here's why I did it. He says, he said to them, Genesis 50, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. (laughs) You sure did. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So here's what he's saying. Let me try to interpret this a bit for you. He's saying this. Oh, brothers, brothers, I want a story where we could all come back together. I want a story where we could all live in, in peace and forgive one another. I wanted a story where God was honored and lives were saved. And though you really did bad things for me, and this doesn't change that, I remembered that God was bigger and he could turn things around. And I chose to live my life in light of eternity in light of almighty God who sees me and you and I didn't let my heart go bitter and dark am I in the place of God you meant it for evil oh but God meant it for good and once again see Joseph did what he had learned to do as a young man which was to rehearse his story out loud in light of eternity This is incredible, isn't it? It's why, actually, you love Joseph. (laughs) It's why you love telling his story. And it's why we love telling his story because Joseph had a story, has a story, worth telling. And do you know where it all started? Genesis 50 started back in Genesis 39 when only one other person would know what he did. His story, this all started when he had nothing to gain. Oh, but everything to lose. He started all the way back in Potiphar's house as a powerless teenager who said, I want a story worth telling. And if that's the case, which it is, I'm willing to do whatever it takes now to make it happen then. And he did. See, because Joseph decided he wanted a story worth telling, now we tell his story. What about you? Let me ask you. Do you have, do you want a story worth telling? What about me? 
Do I, do I have one? Do I want one? What about this church? Come on. Do we together have a story worth telling? See, t- now today, in light of this, I'm going to ask you to do two things with what you just heard, this story, this idea. First of all, number one, I'm going to ask you to decide, I'm asking you actually to consider to decide having a life worth living and a story worth telling. A story worth telling. Because some of you, I know you come in here with this. You, like Joseph, are in the valley of decision. You got a really big decision you're facing. So let me ask you, think about it. Maybe you should rehearse your story out loud. What do you want those kids to say about their mother, about their father? Hmm? What do you want as kids, your parents, to say about you? You want your parents, your family to say, hey, they stepped up and they did the right thing. Or maybe they, they gave in and caused unnecessary pain and questioning of God. Well, maybe what do you want your friends, your employers, your parents to say about you? What decision, what great decision do you need to make today to make sure you have a story worth telling? And aren't you glad, by the way, that not just Joseph, come on, but in the end, Jesus decided to make you part of his story, to come for you and to come for the whole world because, come on, in the end, when we tell Joseph's story, we love it because it really points us to Jesus' story, the one truly betrayed by his brothers, the one truly betrayed by his human family, and the one who was really raised up to become the human savior, the divine savior, not just of a nation, but for the whole world. What decision do you need to make today in light of what Jesus has done for you? And I don't know where that first great decision is. I don't know where that first great decision is that'll maybe lead to the next, that'll lead to the next, that'll lead to the next, that ends up with a great ending. I don't know what that first right decision is for you to make, but I want to encourage you exhort you, challenge you to make it today. And number two, number two, I actually, actually want you also, us also, in light of what we've heard today, I want to do a second kind of thing. And that is to create actually a kind of opportunity to make a great decision in light of eternity. And maybe if we'll, like Joseph, make a great decision in light of eternity together, it could result in the saving, in the reconciliation of many lives. And here it is, and here's my question. Number two, what if then, in light of this today, in light of eternity, what if we, what if we made a great decision when the choice was presented? I believe we can, I believe we will, and here's how. What if we, as a church, one time a year, we could collectively pool our resources and give it away that impacted an organization and our community in an unforgettable way? What if we gave to something outside the scope of our local church so generously that it permanently impacted the trajectory of that organization? What if we raised so much money for someone else, something else that we over time maybe even did better than the federal government and one day created some jobs for those who work in some nonprofits? What if we lived big? for one Sunday and just gave it away because, it, by the way, that's what today is. If you don't know what you walked into today, today is Live Big Sunday. It is the first Sunday of November at Mosaic Church every year. And so if we did that, if we gave like that, decided like that, wouldn't that be amazing? The answer is yes. Wouldn't that be fun? The answer is yes. Wouldn't that feel good? 
yes. Wouldn't that put hope in your heart that maybe God was doing something in our city through us? The answer is yes. Wouldn't you feel like and know that you were making a great decision in light of eternity? Yes, you would. And so today I want to do just that. I've got a goal and a number for you on the screen and you're thinking, man, were we really going to do this? Yes, we are going to do this. Today, I want us to raise, here's our goal, $45,000 in one day. Okay, and we base this number on the estimated number of adults coming either in person to Mosaic or watching with us online. $45,000, here's our recipient, for a local nonprofit called Mission Possible. Mission Possible, they've worked here in Austin for many years, right there on the east side on 12th Street, working for many years to break the cycle of intergenerational poverty, one life, one child, one family at a time. Again, right there in 12th and Chicago, and they work primarily with families there where almost nine out of 10 families are considered low to moderately low income and where 70% of the kids in that zip code are three levels behind the state reading average. It's a tough place to be, but that's why Mission Possible is there. So they are Christ-centered. They do, they do literacy and tutoring programs. They got summer camps for kids. They have temporary safe homes for kids to go and Life gets scary and threatening and dangerous. They go into apartment complexes and create groups and clubs for kids right there in those apartment complexes. Those can be challenging places to live, but they're there. They have leadership development programs for the older kids for post-high school life. They're super respected. They've been in our city for years. And again, again, their goal is to break intergenerational poverty, one life, one child, one family at a time. They are boots on the ground and the streets with love, with vision. And that we can't do everything we want, of course, for organizations like this. We can give them a day they won't forget and make a permanent difference in the lives of a lot of kids in crisis and families in crisis because our goal, our goal is to raise this money right now. They don't know it's coming. They don't know it's coming. We just want to roll up with a check and a smile and like a fist bump or elbow bump or something and impact their organization, maybe even for the long haul. And let me see this before we get into how we're going to do this. We say this. I say this all the time. If there were one reason that I hope God grows this church, if there were one reason why I am grateful he has grown us to the degree he has, it's to grow so much that we are able to give so much and to give more and more and more and show our city that Jesus is the light of the world and that his church cares about them and that maybe even the city is better when the church of Jesus Christ is there. So here's what I'm asking you to do. If everyone watching today gave it, I'll give you my number in a second. You'd be super thankful for this because we do this every year. And even with all the inflation in the United States of America, our asking price today for you as an individual is still only $39.95. $39.95. We could, we could raise $45,000 in one day. Let me give you some history. Eight years ago, we began this and raised 10,000, asked for 10, raised 15. Next year, we asked for 15, got 18, then 20, moved to 25. Five years ago, asked for 25,000, but got 30. Four years ago, we asked for 30 and raised 40. Three years ago, we asked for 35 and received 65,000. Two years ago, we asked for 40, received over 65,000 again. And last year, right in the middle of the dark days of COVID and in a global economic meltdown, we still did this, asked for $45,000 and still received more than $62,000 and we've continued yeah, to do this every year and blow people away because they don't know it's coming 
and encased that, in total encased, you were adding that up in your head. That's more, just over $300,000 we've been able to give away into our community, outside our church, in places that need help and don't know us. Now, some of you, you may be able to give more than $39.95. Like, just go ahead and put another zero on the end of that. That would be amazing, and that's great. Some of you can only give less. That's cool, too. There's no guilt here. No guilt. Because, again, if you could give more, you would. Uh, In the past, maybe you have. In the future, you will. But what I am asking you to do is to participate, as in literally 100% participation. I'm not asking you, for those of you who are in the room, to go home and pray about it. That's how Christians get out of doing stuff right there. I'm not asking you, for those of you who are watching online, or you log off to like, I think about that. What did you think about that, honey? What did you think? No, 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 I'm not asking you to think about it. I don't care if you're, if you're mad at the world. You're mad at the government. You're mad at me, because you might be. I'm just asking you right here, right now, to give at least $39.95 a person towards this. And if you are here, but your spouse isn't, Go ahead and give for them too. They'll thank you for it. You saved them the time, right? And if you're single and you want to be married one day, you can give for them too, right? Come on, y'all. All he needs is a seed. All he needs is a seed, somebody. All right. You say, well, like, man, WWDRT, what would Dave Ramsey think? As always, man, I got a hotline to Dave Ramsey on the way in. I called him. He said he was fine with this, okay? So here's how how you can do this a number of different ways. Number one, you could pick up your phone right now and text any amount, at least (coughs) $39.95, and the words live big to 84321, any amount, and the words live big, to 84321. Number two, or you can go give on our website. Uh, It's got a a drop-down menu option there in our giving platform where it says live big. Make sure you select that and the money will go there. Number three, you can give on our Mosaic Church app. If you have that, if you don't, recommend you get that. Number four, there's a number of great folks out in the lobby today with card readers. They'll take your card out there for sure. And for both of you who still give via check, we've got some giving boxes on the way out of the doors. So that's what I'd like for us all to do today, even if you are a guest, even if this is your first time here and you don't even know what you walked into, even if you're not a Christian and you men hate God or faith or church and your friend just bribed you to get here, and by the way, congratulations to them for getting you here, right? Or you're someone's cousin from upstate New York or auntie from downstate Arkansas, because if you give, you're not giving to us. You're giving through us. For those of you, by the way, if you're suspicious, you walk in here and suspicious, man, the church just wants my money. That's you? I want to tell you, your worst fears have been confirmed because that is true. I want all the money I can get from you today to give towards Mission Possible, to get to make a collective impact in a part of the city that is underfunded and needs help. And next year, next year we're gonna do it again, by the way. And I want us to be known not just for our theology, which we take very seriously, but more for our generosity. For God so loved the world, come on, that he gave. And I don't wanna be known just for what we're against. And I get we gotta be against stuff and all of that, but I'd rather be known for some stuff we're for, okay? And here's our, here's our promise, my promise. Not one penny of this is gonna stay here. There is no overhead, no administrative fee, no shipping and handling on this. This just goes straight to them. You say, Morgan, I already gave today. That's cool. You can give again. 
You say, but there are other needs out there. You're right, there are so many needs out there. You say, Morgan, well, I run a nonprofit. That's cool. I run a nonprofit too. It's called Mosaic Church, and I can think of about 50 things this money could go towards, but this isn't about that. You say, well, Morgan, I've already given to some other groups. That's cool, I give to other groups too. Again, this isn't about that. You say, well, I'll catch the next one. Well, first of all, there might not be a next one. Come on, Christians, right? Should the Lord tarry, there will be, all right? But the the second of all, this is the next one you said you would catch when you said you were gonna catch the next one, okay? You say, Morgan, I'm moving there, or I'm going there. That's great. You get to be a blessing on your way out, all right? You get to tell a great story. Uh, No matter what we have been through, no matter what we've been through, this is our moment, our moment. This is your moment to do something great in 2021. And we're gonna live big today. All right. So if someone asks you, what'd you do in church? What was the, what's it about? Hey, I live big. Because when you live big, you just give it away. You just walk around giving it away, all right? We live big at this church. We all did something small, medium, large, and it added up into something great. Last thought, think of the good we can do. Think of what the church of Jesus can be known for if we do this together. A church that wants to make a decision to live and tell a great story in light of eternity and all God has done for us. So so get out that phone, open up that new browser. Let's make this happen just like we always have. Would you stand on your feet as we begin to close today? Because again, there's not gonna be any music. I'm not even gonna pray. Man, the the things are gonna fall out of the ceiling. There's a little mass like on the airplane because we're gonna land this plane so fast, even for those of you online. We're just gonna call the play, come out of the huddle, and everybody's gonna go long. Know that football term? Go along and make this happen together. Can we do this together, Mosaic? Yes, we can. We love you. God bless you. You are dismissed. We're going to come back next week and tell you all about what happened. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.